Take your Bibles, if you would, and uh, open up to Acts chapter 2 this morning. Acts uh, chapter 2, of course, we're talking about the resurrection uh, of the Lord Jesus Christ today. And uh, the children at this time are, are dismissed to Children's Church as well. We're going to be in Acts chapter 2, verses uh, 22 down through 32. Follow along then as I read uh, the Word of God. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pains of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I might, may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh will dwell in hope, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have set, made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of Christ that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and we are all witnesses of that. Let's pray this morning. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, we ask that you would instruct us from your word today. We ask that you would, we would delight in you, and that we would uh, see how Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And this is uh, true, and this is... Um, exciting and, and good news that sin and death has been conquered by the cross. And we praise you for that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Obviously, this morning the sermon is going to be on the resurrection. The resurrection is one of the cornerstones of the Christian faith. Uh, in fact, Paul is so adamant about it that he, he says in 1 Corinthians 15, if it hadn't happened, we'd still be in our sins. If it hadn't happened, our faith is pointless. In other words, there is no point in being here every Sunday, week in, week out, if Jesus Christ has not risen from the dead. Church is not about just being a good person. Church is not about just having a bunch of morals and living a good life. Church is about Jesus Christ, His death and His resurrection. And we cannot pretend that those things don't matter and we'll just come along and we'll worship together and we'll just be good people and we'll clean ourselves up and we'll have a moral impact on the world and the people around us or you'll bring your kids to church and they'll learn a bunch of good principles and that's the value of it. There is no point 
We ought to just all sleep in on Sunday mornings if it is not for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And that is good news. That is something that from the first days of the church, they went around telling people. And in fact, if you read in the Gospels, they themselves did not believe it immediately. Resurrections are not normal. Although I was teaching the kids yesterday during the Easter egg hunt, and I said to them, has a resurrection like this ever happened before? Has this ever happened, I said. And there was that one Sunday school kid, and it wasn't one of my kids, who knew the answers, and he said, well, it happened to Lazarus. And so I said, okay, yes, that's not what I meant, though. Uh, Of course, Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, but Lazarus raised to life and he died again. Jesus Christ rose from the dead and has conquered death and he can no longer die again. And this is the ground of our hope that sin and death are taken care of. And if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, sin is cleansed in your life. You are forgiven of it and you have a hope in a resurrection to life. This is good news, but like any good news, you need to believe it. You, you read something in the newspaper and you hear that it's good and something great happened, and you don't just roll the newspaper up and say, okay, that's nice. You take it in. You, you accept it. You affirm that it's true. You tell other people about it. Jesus rose from the dead. First this morning, the resurrection happened because death could not hold Jesus. This is the first point in Peter's long sermon here in the section that we're going to look at. This is the idea that the death of Christ, death and its power could not hold him. But I want you to see how this gets set up. First, notice that Jesus' death is not an accident. It did not catch God by surprise. So look at verse 23. This Jesus, and and he's also said in verse 22 about how uh, everybody in the crowd there, they were in the the city of Jerusalem. Everybody had known about Jesus, the miracles he was doing, what had happened. You heard this morning on the road to Emmaus, as we were reading that passage of Scripture, uh, the two two of the disciples, probably not one of the twelve or any of the twelve, but they had followed Jesus and they were talking about it. And then Jesus appears to them and they're like, Don't you know what's been going on in Jerusalem? Like, everybody's talking about this. And this is what Peter's saying. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and the foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Now notice all the aspects of handing Jesus over to death was part and parcel of the plan and purpose of God. God had determined before the foundations of the world that this is what would happen. He would allow men to fall into sin. He would allow them to rebel against Him. And He would send the Lord Jesus Christ at just the right time. In the fullness of time, as Galatians 4.4 says, God sent His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those of us under the law. God had had laid it out. He had planned it. This happens according to His definite plan and His foreknowledge. He sees when it's going to happen. He knows when it's going to happen. Why? Because He's determined 
that it's going to happen. It's kind of like the teacher plans for a test. They put it into the curriculum. And they make sure that everything along the way leads up to this test. And so it is with the Scriptures. Everything along the way, all of the the things that God does to reveal Himself and tell people about who He is, it's all leading up to this moment when the Messiah would come, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and He would die on the cross. Now, God used the hands of lawless men. And so these people in this moment, they thought they were rebelling against God. They were disobeying God. And God is standing here and saying, you know what? This has been part of my plan all along. Joseph in the Old Testament had a very similar experience when his brothers threw him into slavery. And he says towards the end of the book of Genesis, after their father has died and the the 11 brothers are are convinced that Joseph's going to try to kill them now because he's the second most powerful man in Egypt. He says to them, you meant this for evil. But God meant this for good. In other words, you tried to kill me and sent me down to Egypt and you thought you were getting rid of me and you were doing it out of hate and spite. And God had a plan in this all along. And God meant it for good. How much more is that true with the cross? Lawless men put Jesus to death. Our sins put Jesus to death. But God meant this for good so that our sins might be covered and paid for. Isaiah 53.10 Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush Him. Why was it the Lord's will? Isaiah 53.6 And all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to His own way. And the Lord has laid on Him. The Son of God. The Lord has laid on Him. The iniquity or the sin of us all. 1 Corinthians 15.3, Paul says this of the Gospel, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I received. In other words, this is the matter of first importance, the most important thing about the Christian faith. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. Then he goes on and says that Christ was buried and rose again according to the Scriptures. But notice this, the very first preachings of the Gospel, Christ died for our sin. God has always had a plan to conquer sin and death, and it involves Jesus Christ taking the weight of death upon Him, truly dying, being in the grave Friday night through Saturday to Sunday morning so that God could raise Him from the dead. And this is where it goes in Acts 2.24. God raised Him up. Uh, We could probably preach a whole sermon right there on those those four words. God raised him up. God not only brought Jesus back to life, but God brought Jesus to a new quality of life. His body comes up out of the grave and it still bears the marks of, of the crucifixion so that we might know it was truly him. He still has the the nail scars and he shows them to the disciples. And and remember Thomas, the doubting one, wasn't there the one time. And he said, well, I'm not going to believe until I see it and poke my hand in Jesus' side. And you can imagine Jesus coming and kind of rolling up his robe and saying, right here, Thomas, you want to touch? And and Thomas, of course, is embarrassed and falls down and proclaims that Jesus is Lord. But the resurrection of Jesus is God's vindication of him. 
God sees what Jesus has done, sacrificing Himself, fulfilling the plan of God. God is the one who sent Him to that cross. And God is satisfied. God delights in His Son and says, rise up, come out of that grave. And so we see in Isaiah 53.10 again, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush Him. He put Him to grief. God the Father put God the Son to grief on the cross when His soul, the soul of the Son, makes an offering for guilt. He shall see His offspring. Meaning He's going to have people that He saves that will be His heirs. And then it says, He, speaking of God, shall prolong His days. God the Father will prolong the days of the suffering servant the Lord, it was the will of the Lord, shall prosper his hand. That right there is a prophecy of the resurrection. Right in Isaiah 53, not only did Jesus die, but God's will was to prolong his days, to bring him back to life, to assure us that sin and death is conquered. What good would it be if Jesus came out of the grave, lived a, a normal life, and around the age of, say, 70 or 80 years old, died again. You would say, really? We see people die all the time. We look and we say, is, is death really done with? How can we be sure? God raised Jesus from the dead. And Romans Chapter 6, verse 9 tells us, we know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over Him. If you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, there is a sense that death still has dominion over you. You and I, unless the Lord returns, we are going to die. But if you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, death will not be the final victory. You will be raised again from the dead one day. And you will dwell in the presence of the Lord in a resurrection life where there is no death ever again. It's called the new heavens and the new earth. And the dominion of death will be defeated. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15 that death is an enemy and it's the last enemy that Jesus will destroy. And how does He do that? He does it by the power of His resurrection. We could talk about the role of the Trinity in the resurrection and you see the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit each being involved in the resurrection. But here the point is in Peter's sermon that God the Father saw His Son who died. And he said to that Son, the eternal Son of God, who took on humanity so that he could die in our place, he said, come out of that grave and receive new life. And that is the same life that awaits us if we have faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And then it says, it was not possible for death to hold him. So, verse 24, God raised him up, loosing the pains of death. There, there's just powerful imagery. And in the Old Testament, sometimes you have this, this language of death being an enemy, this language of death uh, being almost like, a, like someone that hunts you down, uh, this idea of the cords of death. You think of like a rope 
strangled around your neck and pulling you down into the grave. And it's horrendous. And you can't escape from it. And what does God do? He liberates Jesus from the death that He bore in our place. And then it says this. Here's why. Because it was not possible for Him to be held by it. In other words, say this. It was impossible for death to keep a hold of Jesus. Why? I think there are three answers to this. First, Jesus is the Son of God. So the hallmark of the Christian faith is that Jesus Christ is the eternal Son of God. He's been with the Father through all eternity past. And then in the fullness of time, He becomes a man without giving up His deity or His godhood. Uh, Part of this is a mystery, but we call it the Incarnation. That the Word becomes flesh and makes His dwelling among us. John says that we see Him and we touch Him and we beheld His glory. We were right there with Him and it really was God in the flesh, the Son of God. And so, as the Son of God, Jesus still has authority over life and death. He says in John chapter 2.19, He's saying to the people that want to kill Him, destroy this temple. And He's talking about His body there. He says, you know, you kill Me, and in three days I will raise it up. So He has authority there over life. It says in John 10.18, no one takes it from Me, speaking of His life, but I lay it down on My own accord I have the authority to lay it down and I have the authority to take it up. This charge I have received from my Father. So what is unique about the Father and the Son and particularly here the Son being truly God? He has authority over life and death including His earthly life as He came to earth. Now, this would be really bizarre if you or I said this, right? Like, I have the authority to die whenever I want. And I'm just going to, you know, the day of my funeral, say, well, I'm done being dead. I have the authority to take my life back up. I'm going to get out of here. No, for us, death grips us. It wraps its cords around us and, and we cannot get ourselves out of it. This is why death is so tragic. This is why we are sad uh, when people die. Death is this enemy and it it kills people. It ends their life. And, and, and even the unbeliever recognizes in their sadness and sorrow that there's just something not right when someone dies. Sure, we try to have all the little platitudes and we try to say, you know, it'll get better. And, and oh, you know, it's just a phase of life. And, you know, this is how, you know, it's the circle of life. And we sing the Kumbaya songs. But it's not. It's not God's intent. So here, the awesomeness of Jesus is the power that He has over His own life and death. So the first reason it's not possible for Him to be held, He's the Son of God. The second two reasons relate to who He is and what He does in His humanity. So the second reason that death cannot hold Him is He is perfect in His human life. Death is the guilt and consequences of sin. And when sin entered the world in Adam's sin, death entered the world. And death is on every one of us because every one of us sins. 
And then you say, well, Pastor, you know, I don't really believe in that sin stuff. That's really, really harsh and mean. Oh, yeah? Well, you believe in death, don't you? Where do you think death came from? Death is not a natural part of life. It wasn't as God intended it. So each and every person deserves to die and stay dead. Only the Lord Jesus Christ deserves to be resurrected from the dead. So in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 7, it says of this, of Jesus, In the days of his flesh, he offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. He was heard because of his perfections in godliness. There are many people that pray to God. And God has never in this life raised someone to, the, to life again based on the strengths of their prayers. Why? Because we still have sin. But Jesus, dying on the cross and crying out on the cross and crying out in Gethsemane, cries out to His Father, entrusts His life to the Father. He says, into your hands I commit my spirit. And why does He get a resurrection? Why is He heard? Because of His reverence. Because of His perfections in obedience. Because He said to the Father, I have come to do your will in Hebrews chapter 10. And in doing the will of God, He accomplished it perfectly. Each and every one of us never lives up to the standard which God has set in His Word. It's impossible. But the Lord Jesus Christ did in His earthly life. And so death cannot have power over Him because He has none of His own sins to be condemned for. The third reason is that Jesus, death isn't able to hold Jesus because Jesus has exhausted the curse of sin. So the reason Jesus dies, right, is that God takes our sin and places it on Jesus almost as if it was a, a legal transfer and he, you know, we had a debt and he takes the debt and he writes a legal note and he gives it to Jesus and Jesus pays for it. Why doesn't Jesus stay dead? Because the debt is paid for. The debt is paid for. Again, Isaiah 53, 11 and 12. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge, the righteous one, my servant, will make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear his iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him with a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong. Because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors, yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. So here's the idea. Jesus Christ bears the sin of us. He stands in our place. And God sees it and is satisfied. There is no more judgment for sin that Jesus Christ has borne on the cross. And God, out of that, gives a reward to Jesus. He brings Him back to life and, and gives Him an inheritance. The kingdom of heaven. 
And for each and every one of us that puts our faith in Jesus, that believes in Him and His death and His resurrection, our sins are washed by what Jesus did on that cross. And He divides that spoil. Think of, think of, you know, think of like a, a, a pirate getting his bounty, right? He gets all this spoil and all this riches. And He divides it up. Well, Jesus defeats the enemy, the pirate, death. And He gets all of the riches and spoils of heaven and He divides it up among His people, those who trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And death could not hold Jesus because He was done making intercession and paying for our sins. He was done substituting Himself. Everything that Jesus Christ bore, He bore to completion and finished on that cross. If you trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, how do you know your sins are forgiven? Because Christ rose again from the dead. Because Christ has conquered the punishment for your sin and my sin, which is death and separation from God. Second, this morning, the resurrection happened Because it was a fulfillment of Scripture. So, Psalm 16 here is quoted by by uh, Peter. And Jesus fulfills that. Look at verse 25 through 28. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, and he is at my right hand, and I have that I may not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad, my tongue rejoiced, my flesh also will dwell in hope, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life and you will make known, make me full of gladness in your presence. So here you have the reference to Hades. It's a translation of the Old Testament. The Old Testament word is Sheol. It just means the grave. Where does the body go when, when you bury it? Down deep into the grave. And the grave is often personified as something that has a power. So when Jesus talks about the gates of hell not prevailing against the church, He's using language from the Old Testament. The, the gates of Sheol, the bars of the grave cannot defeat the church Because the church is the people that believe in Jesus Christ and Christ has rose from the dead. Again, language from elsewhere in Scriptures. The cords of shield entangled me. The snares of death confronted me. From Job, will it go down to the bars of shield? Shall we descend together into the dust? Imagery of dying. The Psalms, the cords of shield entangled me. The snares of death confronted me. O Lord, You have brought up my soul from Sheol. You have restored my life to me, my life from among those who go down into the the pit. Then there's this language in the psalm, You will not let Your Holy One see corruption. What happens when the body goes into the grave? It decays. And He's saying, You won't let Your Anointed One, Your Chosen One, have a body that decays away into dust. In fact, you'll, you'll make known to me, he says, the paths of life. Jesus' death is a real death as to his humanity. So he takes on, the Son of God takes on a human body. 
And in that humanity, he dies. He's really dead. We have fun Easter egg hunts on Saturday. And that's cool. And there's nothing wrong with that. But the importance of the reminder of the gap between Friday and Sunday is that Jesus Christ was truly in the grave. He was truly under the powers of death in that moment. And, and you can almost imagine the evil one or the, the Pharisees or the rebellious against the Lord kind of shaking their hands and, and being like, yeah, we won! We got Him! He is under the authority of the grave. Nobody can escape death. And yet, the Son of God, death is not able to hold him. The second thing to notice here is that this is a psalm of David. What's fascinating is in the original context of this psalm, all the eyes, David is talking about himself. He's saying, hey, I saw the Lord before me. He says, therefore, my tongue rejoice. My flesh will dwell in hope. You will not abandon my soul to Hades. You have made known to me the paths of life. And I love what Peter does here in verse 29. He says, guys, I can tell you I'm pretty confident about this now that David wasn't talking about himself. How do we know? He says, uh, duh, guys, David is dead. Look at what he says. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence, and, and I like to read that with some irony, some snarkiness there. I, I'm pretty sure, guys, about the patriarch David, that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. So either David is a liar, and God didn't keep his word, because David said, hey, you'll make known to me the paths of life, and David's still in the grave. David said, you won't let my body see corruption. And guess what? David's corruption, his body is down into dust now. You wouldn't even probably be able to find the bones in the time, in the day and age when Peter is speaking, let alone now. Peter says it's obvious because Peter, because David is still dead. So who is David talking about in this song? What Peter tells us and what the scriptures demonstrate to us is that David is talking not about himself, but he's talking about the Messiah. This is what we might call personification, right? When, when, when you put this in your own shoes, but you're talking about someone else, you know, sometimes in fairy tale stories, we personify things that aren't even alive and we make them talk and we, we, we give them uh, roles or parts or something like this. Well, what David is doing here is David is being a prophet and he's not talking about himself, but he's talking about the Messiah who would come. And God had already promised that the Messiah would come as one of David's descendants. So David is saying this, and he's saying all of these eyes, but he's saying it with a view towards not what's going to happen to David, but what David is saying is, I'm going to have a son one day. I'm going to have a descendant, and he is going to be king. And these things are going to happen to him. And just like I'm the king now, and you think of all those psalms where David cries out and God saves him from enemies and people that want to kill him and all these things. David says, in effect, God is going to do that in a much greater scale to my descendant. And he's actually going to bring him back to life out of the dead. 
And so David speaks these things as a prophet. Verse 30, being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on the throne, he foresaw and spoke of the resurrection of Christ and that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. David writes these things about Jesus. The Old Testament prophesies that Jesus will rise again from the dead. I already mentioned to you Isaiah 53 at the end of that passage. We call that passage the suffering, uh, the song of the suffering servant. And, and that's a good name for it because it is about the suffering Jesus will go, undergo. But unfortunately, like we tend to miss the last three verses where we're intertwined with this suffering is this promise of the resurrection. That they're linked together. And David here promises that the, that, that the, the Messiah, his descendant, would, would be the one who these verses are fulfilled in. It's fascinating in Hebrews 5-7 where, where it talks about him crying out, the Son of God crying out, Jesus in reverence and, and, and with loud cries and tears. It's fascinating that that language there echoes so many of the Psalms where you see David crying out or you see the godly person crying out. And the point is these things were already in the Old Testament and only Jesus is the one who perfectly fulfills it. He cries out and God raises him to life. And so now, as David has promised, his flesh doesn't see corruption. His body comes out of the grave. How did David know this was going to happen? Well, one, obviously, the Holy Spirit is inspiring him and telling him what to write. But Peter draws the point to this, that David knew the promise of God. God had sworn with an oath to David, I will set one of your descendants on the throne. You see it in 2 Samuel 7. You see it in Psalm 89. For, all, for once for all, I have sworn by my holiness, I will not lie to David. His offspring shall endure forever. His throne as long as the sun before me. Elsewhere in the passage, it says he will make him the highest kings of the earth. And that's what Jesus is right now, a king over all kings. David knew what God promised, and he trusted God. Do you know what God has promised? Do you know what God has done in crucifying and causing Jesus to rise again from the dead and promising to us life in Christ if we put our faith and trust in Him? Do you know the promises of God? And do you believe them? Do you trust them? The resurrection then is a fulfillment of Scripture. And you see this throughout the early preaching of the resurrection. Again, 1 Corinthians 5, 3 and 4, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. Jesus walking on the, the road to Emmaus and he basically, how many times in the Gospels after he's risen from the dead does he got to go and say, let me explain this to you from the Scriptures. And, and Jesus is kind and loving and patient. But it tells us this over and over again so that we'd realize God had said in the Scriptures that He would do this. 
Do you believe the Scriptures? The third thing this morning is we know the resurrection happened because it was witnessed. Notice how Peter and the disciples were witnesses to the resurrection. Uh, You see this at the end of of Luke uh, 24. Peter rose and he ran to the tomb, stooping in, and he saw linen clothes by themselves. And they went home marveling. The, The guys at the road to Emmaus, they run back to the disciples after Jesus has appeared to them and they say, the Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. In other words, they come busting in and they say, Simon was telling the truth. Well, how do you guys know? You know, Simon's sometimes kind of out there in the Scriptures. He's not always the best character. We saw him on the road to Emmaus. And they, you know, they had said, did not our hearts burn within us when he was explaining the word? Peter makes that point right here in this sermon. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are witnesses. Paul, preaching in 1 Corinthians 15, says that Jesus had appeared to Cephas, another name for Peter, then to the twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, many or most of whom are still alive but though some have fallen asleep, meaning though some, some have died and gone to be with the Lord and now are waiting their resurrection. But he says most of us were still alive when Paul wrote this. And we saw him. We saw him. You have two great assurances of the resurrection. And, and if you think of the resurrection as an event that is at the center of all of human history, Leading up to this, you have everything pointing in the Scriptures to saying and telling you ahead of time, Jesus Christ is going to rise from the dead. And then you have the event. And after the event, if the testimony of Scripture wasn't enough, you have looking back the testimony of the guys who saw it and saying, we were there. And I use guys generically because the first people to see it were who? They were the women. Interesting point of fact, and I, and I always try to, to draw this out uh, at various points. In the ancient world, women were not considered credible witnesses in court testimony. I'm not saying that's right. I'm just saying that's the way it was. In, in Greek and Roman culture, like you didn't call a woman to the witness stand. She was considered uh, unreliable. The point being, if you were going to fabricate stories about resurrections... The last people, if you wanted to appeal to your culture around you that didn't think women were credible witnesses, the last people that you would write into the story if you were making it up would be women. Because everybody would be like, oh, women saw it? Again, I'm not saying that it's right. But what I am saying is part of the reason that women saw it lends credibility to it. Because it happened And they couldn't not talk about it. And the gospel writers couldn't not write it in, you know, they couldn't leave that part of the story out in writing their gospels. If they were making this up, they would have figured and found far better witnesses or ways of describing it that would have appealed to that culture in the time. Again, Your first great assurance is the promise of Scripture. Christ comes preaching the kingdom of God. Christ in His resurrection is granted in His kingdom. 
in this kingdom. Believers in Jesus Christ then become co-heirs in this kingdom. Do you believe in the scriptures, what Jesus has done in his death and resurrection? Ask yourself this this morning, even one step farther. Why do I believe what I believe? You talk about the resurrection. You talk about the death. Maybe you don't even believe in it. Why not? If you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you come every week and you're hearing these things, and you're like, okay, yeah, 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 Jesus Christ died. He rose again. Yes, amen. That's exciting. Why do you believe it? Where does your confidence lie? What is the ground on which you stand? when it comes to these truths. Everybody who believes something, and everybody believes something, everybody who believes something anchors that truth into something. We anchor the truth into God and His Word, and that God has sworn with an oath and made a promise, and He kept it in the Lord Jesus Christ. And the real question for you is, do you trust God? Do you ground your life in God. And maybe you're struggling with the idea of faith. Go to God. Pray to Him. Ask Him if He's there. Read His Word and say, let's, let's see what He says. Hebrews says this, So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of His purpose, He guaranteed it with an oath so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast for the hope set before us. God can't lie, and God makes you a promise. What is that promise? Hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. The resurrection fulfilled is hope. Hope confirmed. Let me say that again. The resurrection fulfilled, God keeping His Word, God doing what He said, is hope fulfilled. This week, uh, two people, actually three people that we know, died and went home to be with the Lord. One was uh, D. Regal, one was uh, Blanche Fink. Uh, but another one is someone from the first church that I served at, and he was an elder, and he was uh, a dear man, a godly man. It was an unexpected heart attack this week. And I got the news, and I was walking into my office at one point this week, and I just had one of those kind of Ecclesiastes moments. You know how Ecclesiastes says, vanity, vanity thing, everything is vanity? It, it was one of those moments of just, you had this passing thought of, Here's this wonderful guy, and he died. What is the purpose of life? We're all going to die anyways. Why are we here? Why do we do this? And again, it wasn't like my faith was being rocked. It was a, a passing moment. And as I thought about the coming weekend, we're here because Christ rose from the dead. What's the point of me preaching every Sunday if Christ isn't risen? There, there is none. I wouldn't be a good public speaker without the Word of God to open up. And I certainly wouldn't be a good stand-up comic. And so what do I have to bring? The resurrection of Jesus Christ. 
Why do we go put up with hardships in life? Where is our hope? The resurrection. The resurrection is your hope. And this then leads us to the second assurance that we have. The resurrection was witnessed by people. Obviously, resurrections don't happen every day. And obviously, even in Jesus' time, even in the time of Paul, people heard about a resurrection and they would be like, you guys are off your rocker. Yet we believe in the power of God who has the ability to do these things. And we're saying, and the Scriptures are saying, God did this and we know it because people saw it and they told us about it. Do you trust what they said and what they wrote down in the Scriptures? That it's from God. I stole this from Alex Kochman's Facebook page. So I've got to give credit where credit is due. He had a quote from Charles Colson this week. And some of you might remember Charles Colson. Uh, he became a Christian activist. But what most of us don't realize is that he was actually one of the guys in the inner circle of President Nixon involved in the Watergate scandal. And he was an unbeliever. And he did jail time for what he did. And it was out of that in prison that he got saved. So here is arguably one of like the corrupt, I was going to say most corrupt, but that might be a stretch. But I mean, like definitely corrupt guys involved in this. And he gets saved and, and grasps the forgiveness of sins. And this is what he says. And, and I think, you know, this is anecdotal, but it makes you think. He says, I know the resurrection is a fact. And Watergate proved it to me. How? Because 12 men testified that they had seen Jesus raised from the dead and then they proclaimed that truth for 40 years, never once denying it. Everyone was beaten, tortured, stoned, and put in prison. They would not have endured if it weren't true. He says this, Watergate embroiled 12 of the most powerful men in the world and they couldn't keep a lie for three weeks. You're telling me 12 apostles could keep a lie for 40 years. Absolutely impossible. Again, it's an antidote. But I think it rings true. You think about how easily Peter denied Jesus before the cross. And you think about afterwards. According to church history, Peter went to his death and he even asked to be crucified upside down because he didn't think he would deserve the honor of being crucified like Christ was crucified. Paul describes himself as being beaten and bruised and shipwrecked and left for dead. If these things weren't true, they would have given it up. Your assurance... Scripture testifies to the resurrection. It told us ahead of time it was going to happen. And when it happened, people witnessed it. And as many as 500 believers at one time were in a room and Jesus appeared to them and He showed them and He ate with them and He said, touch me. If you don't believe me, he said to Thomas, come and, and touch me. This was not a ghost. This was not a hallucination. 
they saw these things. And the question to you this morning is, what do you believe? Who do you believe in? Where is your trust anchored? And where is your hope grounded? Let's pray this morning. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank You for the hope that the resurrection brings us and the assurance that we can have that Jesus Christ truly died for us and rose again from the dead. I pray that we would have a faith and a trust in Jesus. That these promises do not belong to us apart from trusting in Him, apart from hoping in Him, which leads us to walk in His ways. Oh Lord, I pray that we would turn to You and, and cry out. That we would look to You and that You would be the anchor for our soul. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.